welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 45. Let me bring you up to speed where we are here. If you've not read the account of Joseph, which if you've grown up in church, I know you've heard a lot of it, but beginning about 37, chapter 37, up to this point is, is quite a story in itself. It's not a story. It's a history account. Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob, had 12 sons. And Benjamin and Joseph were the two younger ones. And Joseph seemed to be loved by Jacob in a way that made the other sons jealous. And Joseph's dreams got him into trouble with his brothers. I'm paraphrasing a lot of this. Because in one of the dreams, he said, I had a dream where basically he told them, one of these days you're going to bow down to me. Well, that is not a good thing to say to your older siblings. They made it look like Joseph was killed, and they sold him into slavery where he wound up in Egypt. And while he was in Egypt, he was in Potiphar's house. And, of course, because of a false accusation, he wound up in prison. And even while he was in prison, interpreted the butler and the baker's dreams and was told he wouldn't be forgotten when one of them was released, and yet he was, and he spent several several more years in prison. Then Pharaoh began to have some weird dreams. And all of a sudden, one of them remembered, oh, yeah, there's this guy in prison who could interpret them. And Joseph interpreted the dreams to Pharaoh. And as a result, speaking that there was going to be a famine coming to the land, Pharaoh was so impressed, and because of God's favor, Joseph was made second in command and helped preparing the land for the famine that was going to come. Well, after the famine had hit two years, well, from Israel comes Jacob's family looking for food. Joseph immediately recognizes his brothers. Now, he did, they didn't bring Benjamin, but Joseph recognized them. They did not recognize him. Well, through, through a series of interactions where Joseph gives them food, and, and they buy food, but he puts the money back in the sacks. And first of all, he sends them back, and he said, I want, he, call, he says, you're spies, and it's all a plan of his. And, and, and they know we're not spies. And he said, you have a younger brother? Yeah, I have a Benjamin. Go get him and bring him back and prove to me that what you're telling me is the truth. And they bring Benjamin back. They get money, and, and they make it look like Benjamin. They don't, but, but Joseph makes it look like Benjamin stole something out of Joseph's house. And, and so Benjamin gets arrested. Well, now the older of the boys says, look, you can't keep Benjamin. Let me take his place. And at that time, Joseph cries. He weeps because he knows. Well, actually, he's, that's where we are right now. And, then, and after, after um, the older brother says, let me stay in Judah, intercedes for Benjamin. And he said, let me stay. 
he can't take it anymore. He can't, re- he can't contain himself anymore. And that's where we pick up right here in verse 40, chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Folks, that just doesn't cover the feelings they had to have had when they found out that was Joseph. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land and there's still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry up and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me and you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you, so you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck, Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked to him. Bobby was 10 years old, was sitting in the evening, watching the evening news with his dad when a report of a a war in the Middle East came up. And after that report was over, Bobby said, Dad, how do wars begin? His dad said, well... Take World War I, for instance. It all started when Germany invaded Belgium. And before he could finish, his wife, who had just entered the room, interrupted him and said, that's not how it happened. It began when that archduke was assassinated. Well, the husband instantly scowled and snapped back, are you answering this question or am I? Turning in a huff, the wife stormed back out of the living room into the kitchen door, slammed the door on the way in. You could hear the dishes rattling in the cabinet. And there was this uneasy silence, and Bobby said, never mind, Dad, I think I figured it out. (laughs) No matter who you're married to, no matter what relationship you're in, I can promise you that at some point in your life, they're going to offend you, and you're going to offend them. It doesn't matter who you are. You're going to offend them. You're going to sin against them. You're going to disappoint them. It's true in any relationship because we're all sinners. None of us are perfect. Now, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to love our neighbors and love our enemies. You ever wondered why? Because they're probably some of the same people at some point. Well, the years that Joseph spent in slavery, they could have been years where he just seethed and burned in his anger and revenge. 
But Joseph recognized that his sufferings were for a reason. And and then the chapters prior to chapter 45, he treats all of his brothers who were coming. He recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. He treats them graciously and giving them bountiful provisions for their families as they go back to Canaan and then and so forth. And, And you see how it leads up to this point where he's got all of his brothers in front of him and they go from a family feud to a family reunion. And so I want us to look at a couple of things, first of all. First of all, you'll notice what I'm going to call the fear factor when you find yourself speechless. Judah and his brothers were waiting a verdict from Joseph about Benjamin. Now, at this point, they still didn't know. They were wondering, is Benjamin going to have to stay? But it seemed, it comes time to reveal himself, and the first thing he does, Joseph does, he gets everyone out of the room because it's a family matter. And then he makes the statement, I am Joseph, your brother. Is my father still alive? Now, I can just visually see the look on their face and all the color drain out of their face. If they thought the worst had come, it had not, not in the least, because already the famine was bad, already Benjamin was in trouble, and now we're standing before Joseph? Fear and guilt were written all over their faces, and their silence confirmed this. In fact, if you'll notice, the first 15 verses, the only one that's speaking is Joseph. The brothers can't say anything. You know, fear will keep many people from confronting whatever issue it is you need to confront. And some of you today, and I don't know who you are, and I don't care to know, the point is, some of you right now, there's something you need to handle in a relationship with your family or with friends or whatever, and you're afraid. Fear. Reminds me of Linus one day giving Charlie Brown uh, this bit of advice. I don't like to face problems head on. I think the best way to solve problems is to avoid them. Yep. In fact, he said, this is a distinct philosophy of mine. No problem is so big, so complicated that it can't be run away from. <laughs> fear and faith don't stay in the same house. If you have fear, inner faith will leave. If you have faith, inner fear will leave. They don't stay in the same place. And you see here the fear factor. You can imagine how afraid they were. But I would challenge you to get over your fear and take a step in the right direction to make it right. The second thing we see is the forgiveness factor when you find yourself spiteful. You know, people today are filled with bitterness. Would you agree? We're surrounded by it. The culture is filled with rage and anger and bitterness and vengeance toward others. We make heroes out of the vindictive. Let's face it, you like to go to a movie where the good guy finally gives it to the bad guy, don't you? And aren't you a little disappointed when he doesn't kill him? After all, you had the opportunity to kill him, but you didn't do it. I know, I mean, with the Avengers or Dirty Harry or whoever, Rambo, I don't know who you're thinking about, but we go to these, mo- we go to these movies and, and there's an awful injustice dealt to them, and then when they finally get a chance to do it, they just arrest them. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for them to pulverize them. <laughs> We're filled with it. We want to get even. But the Bible... <laughs> 
tells us that forgiveness is required. Trust me on this. I've looked for the loopholes. They're not there. Jesus, I mean, giving a model prayer, and it's not the prayer you're supposed to recite all the time. It's a model. It's an example. But even in that example, he said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then goes right on to say, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their sins, your Father won't forgive your sins. Several truths about forgiveness I want to share with you quickly. First of all, unforgiveness will keep you in the past. Joseph could have done this. See, as long as you're unwilling to forgive offenders and their offenses, you're shackled to both of them. You're handcuffed to the offenses, and you're handcuffed to the offender. It's like picking an open sore, keeping it from healing. When you won't forgive, you're sentencing yourself through life, a life of bondage, feeling bad, with no end in sight. You want to get even. Unforgiveness means we desire to hurt the people who have wounded us. It reminds me of the little boy sitting on a park bench. He was in obvious pain. You could tell on his face he was hurting. And a man said, son, are you okay? He said, not really. I'm sitting on a bumblebee. (laughs) And the man said, then why don't you get up? And the boy said, because I figure I'm hurting him more than he's hurting me. (laughs) Well, the healing problem, the healing process begins when you get up off the park bench. And quit wounding yourself. Stop inflicting pain on yourself. It's like drinking poison, hoping they will die. Keeps you in the past. Unforgiveness will result in bitterness. Hebrews 12.15 calls it a root of bitterness. Down deep, an infectious cancer in the heart. Such bitterness is malignant. It's devastating. It brings those malignant thoughts, those harassing memories that distort how you see life. Anger rages out of control. Emotions become unbridled. You entertain desperate ideas for revenge. Every conversation you have becomes a forum to talk about whatever they did to you or however you can get even with them or to defame them. You won't let go of it. It's interesting how sometimes in Africa they catch monkeys. They set up a cage, put bait in the cage, but the monkey won't go in the cage because it's too smart. But it will reach in the cage and grab whatever bait is there that that monkey wants, and they won't let go. So whenever they come up, he can't get his hand out. He's stuck because he won't let go. How many people have been the devil's monkeys? Using the trap of offenses as bait, you grab the offense, you won't let go of it. Kent Crockett says, those whom you don't forgive are holding you as a hostage. Next, forgiveness is the most godlike act a person can do. You will never be more like God than when you forgive. There are 75 word pictures for forgiveness in the Bible. I want to read 10 of them. 
Now, they're not written exactly like this, but the picture is there, and I put it in English up to date. But, but to forgive is to turn the key to open the cell door and let the prisoner walk free. To forgive is to write in large letters across a debt, nothing is owed. The Bible says that to forgive is to pound the gavel in a courtroom and declare not guilty. To forgive is to shoot an arrow so high and so far it can never be found again. To forgive is to take out the garbage and dispose of it once and for all, leaving the house fresh and clean. To forgive is to loosen the anchor and set the ship free to sail. To forgive is to grant a full pardon to a condemned and sentenced criminal. To forgive is to loosen a stranglehold on a wrestling opponent. To forgive is to sandblast a wall of graffiti, leaving it looking brand new. To forgive is to smash a clay pot into a thousand pieces so it could never be put together again. Forgiveness is a verbally declared, personally granted promise. It's a statement of undeserved, unearned love that affirms to an offender that there is no anger, no hatred, no desire for vengeance, no retaliation because guilt has been removed, blame has been removed. There's no self-pity. There's no bitterness. That's precisely how God forgives you and me. The attitude of God towards sinners We're verbally declared, forgiven, personally given the promise of undeserved and unearned love. That's Paul's point in Ephesians 4.32. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. And the very next chapter, the first verse, it says, be imitators of God. You imitate God when you forgive. Amen? In fact, you're never more like him than when you forgive. Now, forgiveness is not contingent on the attitude of the offending party. We'd all like to believe that we don't have to forgive unless a person comes begging back to us, please forgive me. They're probably not going to do that. You know, what's interesting is that Joseph had already forgiven his brothers before he even told them who he was. So they didn't get an opportunity to ask for forgiveness. In fact, we base our forgiveness on what God has done for us, not on what another person has done to us. I remember in preschool, I don't remember many things in preschool. But I remember one of the first verses we learned was, we love God because he first loved us. You see, even before you and I were born, God was in the process of reconciling the world to him. Along with that, whoever has offended you has offended God in a greater way. Some people say, you know, I've had it. I'm up to my ears on this. I'm not taking this another day. 
and they think that's the ultimate offense against them when in reality the sin that was committed against you has also offended God even more. And what do you think God's going to do? He fully, totally, freely, completely forgives. And he's the most holy and most offended. You and I are the least holy and the least offended. Can we not also do the same thing? Now, along with that, forgiveness does not mean subjecting ourselves to the same hurt continuously. Listen to me. Joseph didn't have any animosity toward his brothers, but he checked them out before he restored the relationship with them. He heard them back a couple of chapters prior saying, you know what, we brought all this calamity on ourselves. It's our fault for for doing what we did to Joseph. Joseph heard them say that. Joseph saw Judah try to take the place for Benjamin, and he saw real repentance and a change in their life, and then he revealed himself to them. But his forgiveness to them was long before they ever knew who he was. But he also checked them out. Now, suppose you're in an abusive relationship and your spouse has abused you and they say they're sorry and you believe them and you forgive them, but you also tell them that unless you get some help, we're not getting back in this relationship right now. Because if that person really means it, they will get the help they need in order to be restored in the relationship. Forgetting, you you forgive and you forget. The forgetting or the trusting again comes as we see a genuine change in repentance. Forgetting becomes possible when both parties seek to establish a new relationship. But just because somebody says they're sorry, you don't jump back in that relationship until they've shown that there's been some repentance and change in their part too. So don't let anybody say, well, you're supposed to forgive me. Yeah, but you're supposed to repent too. Nowhere in this chapter does Joseph minimize the sin. In fact, he identified the treatment they had given him as sinful. Forgiveness does not seek to minimize the sin. It seeks to neutralize it. To stop it. Now, you remember they have already come to the point of recognizing their action as sin back in chapter 42 and repenting of it in chapter 44, but now they've really come to realize the magnitude of their sin when Joseph identified himself, and Joseph didn't even have to belabor the point. (laughs) He didn't have to say, you know what you did to me. They already knew. Forgiving, forgiving, excuse me, forgetting has more to do with relationship than memory. How can I forget? I know I'm supposed to forget, but how can I forget? Let's talk about that. First of all, true story, back in 2015, this article came out about a man by the name of Arthur Lampett, 75 years old at that time. He was working outside, 75 years old, moving concrete blocks. And he experienced a sharp pain in his arm, and he noticed a protrusion coming out of the skin. So he went to the doctor, 
who promptly called for an x-ray, and there was a seven-inch piece of metal lodged in his arm. And the doctor said, how in the world did that get there? He said, I guess 51 years ago, I had a brand new 1963 Thunderbird and a truck slammed into me. And as I look back, the doctors kind of brushed aside the injury to my arm because they were so focused on my broken hip and damaged leg. And he said, I guess it's from that. And sure enough, they removed a seven-inch piece of a blinker arm from a 1963 T-Bird. 51 years. We've all experienced some kind of head-on collisions in life, not on the road. Tragedies, hurts, betrayals, losses, disappointments, the pain of sin, whether it's ours or others, injustices. And if you don't deal with it, it's always going to be under the skin. It's going to surface. We're told that we're supposed to forgive and forget. But some scars are so deep, we feel like we could never forget. But God said, Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Really, do you think God can't remember everything we've done? Do you really believe that? I don't. But that's not what he's talking about. God chooses not to remember. See, there's a difference. We have a biological memory, and mine's getting worse. How about you? Can I get a witness here? Yeah. 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 My hard drive's full. <laughs> and so when I learn something new, it deletes something else. <laughs> Plus, it moves very slow. But biological, but the other is volitional. I choose to forgive. And what God does is make a choice not to allow what's happened in the past to affect his relationship with you and me. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God doesn't keep saying, well, son, you remember what you did here and there and here and here, you know? God doesn't, God doesn't do that. <laughs> Some of you, though, can't forget and it's not that you literally forget what happened, but you refuse to let the past influence your relationship in the present. You're kind of like the baby elephant and baby turtle that were drinking at the river deep in the jungle. For no reason, the turtle reaches over and bites the elephant's tail. Years later, same elephant, now grown up, is by the same river having a drink with his giraffe buddy. Same turtle comes walking up that bit him on the tail many years ago. The elephant sees him, rears back a leg, kicks him as hard as he can, sending him flying off through the jungle. The giraffe said, why'd you do that? He said, because when we were both babies, that turtle bit my tail for no reason. The giraffe said, well, you got a good memory. He said, exactly, I've got turtle recall.
Let me loosen you up just a little bit here. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Some of you have got turtle recall. You can recall every offense that's ever been done to you. You go back to high school, whenever it might be. God does not forget the sinner. He forgets the sin. Make no mistake. You may think you've got it hidden over, but it has a way of working itself out. And don't be like the two sisters who had a feud for 30 years. Matilda on her 70th birthday, Alice, her sister, felt a little pang of remorse that they hadn't spoken, but it passed. And later on, when she heard Matilda was ill, she felt compelled to go visit her. And from her sick bed, Matilda just looked sternly at her as she walked in the room. At last, she said in a faint voice, the doctor says, I'm seriously ill, Alice. If I pass away, I want you to know you're forgiven. But if I pull through, <laughs> things are still the same. <laughs> the last thing I want you to see is the fellowship factor when you find yourself supernatural. The natural thing to do is to write them off and get rid of them vengeance. But the supernatural thing, the Spirit of God in you helps you to forgive and restore fellowship. Philip Yancey wrote a book, What's So Amazing About Grace? And he tells a true story of a Texas couple who had trouble with pride. They got into an argument in a grocery store over sugar. They never resolved it. They went 40 years without speaking a word to one another. They sawed the home, the house, in half, boarded up the rough edges, moved half of the house over on the same acre of land past a grove of trees, half of it. So they lived on the same acre. They lived the rest of their days in half, separate half houses, all because of pride. Isn't that dumb? But how, much, how many times do you let your pride keep you from making it right? I want to tell you something. Forgiveness, forgiveness will cost you. The person can never repay what they've done. Let me ask you this. Did your forgiveness from God cost him anything? You see, you, you know you're forgiven when you no longer think about it day and night. You know you've forgiven someone when you no longer have to talk about it all the time. Or you no longer feel the need to seek revenge. Or you no longer live in bitterness and anger. Or you can recall those who hurt you and you can still wish them well. Forgiveness is like giving them a receipt that says it's paid for. And so every time you think about it, you remember, oh yeah, I've, I've given them the receipt for this. When, when Peter came to Jesus, he said, how many times have I got to forgive somebody? Up to seven times? And he was saying that facetiously. Jesus said, no. And I can imagine Peter going, well, yes. No, 70 times seven, Peter. In other words, every time you think about it, you've chosen to not hold that against them. And that's the way God forgives us. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, 
He will forgive you right now of all your sin. In fact, would you bow your heads with me? Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message.